You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Greetings to the coastal LA region. It is so great to be with you today, albeit virtually. Lord knows I would much rather be in sunny LA rather than the basement of my home. So I want to welcome you to the Barnett Studios, or at least that's what it seems like for the past few months as I've been doing so many virtual messages. Uh, I want to first of all express my sincere gratitude to uh, Steve and Jackie uh, for the invitation to spend time with you this week. And I say this week because uh, Tam and I had the opportunity to record a midweek uh, lesson for you guys. Some of you may or may not have heard it by now. Uh, we also uh, spent time with the, the ministry staff doing some training on Friday and uh, meeting with some of the small group leaders and shepherding couples on Saturday. So we've been with you. And I just say that to say that uh, by the time this week is over, you'll you'll be had enough full of, of the Barnett's in my voice. Uh, but anyway, it's just great to be there to Steve and Jackie. I just I have to just lift you guys up. You are some of the most uh, intentional and humble and courageous and compassionate leaders I know. And I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking to, to your ministry today. I'm saying it because I, I sincerely believe that to be true. When I have the opportunity to speak in other locations and other audiences and to other leaders, I always share what you guys are doing in coastal LA. I love the fact that you do not steer away from issues that might be controversial, but rather so you, you lean into them with a humble curiosity. And that is so much like Jesus. And I thank you so much um, for allowing us to be here and to be with you this week. And hopefully we'll have the opportunity to come out and visit LA uh, at another time. I also wanted to express my gratitude to the uh, rest of the staff there in coastal LA. You guys are incredible. You are awesome. Uh, you are so hospitable, so friendly. And, uh, and so humble in all that you do. I pray all the time for your ministry uh, to do well. And uh, again, I can't say this enough. I am just so grateful to be able to spend this time with you this week. Uh, this is also the end of February, which is uh, Black History Month. And, uh, and so I wanna kinda talk about Black history just a little bit in terms of just introducing the message, but really more so pulling from the civil rights movement, a, a theme uh, entitled the, the Beloved Community. Now, the title of this message, I would encourage you if you want to write that down, uh, is Love Never Fails. But I want to talk about love in the context of the Beloved Community. Now, the Beloved Community was and is an aspirational goal, I believe, uh, for all human beings. The Beloved Community was popularized by the teachings and the practices of the, the late great civil rights leader and human rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. For Dr. King, the beloved community was a community that was based upon a society that relied upon justice and also on equal opportunity for people and the overall love of every human being. Dr. King did not believe that justice belonged to any one oppressed group but was for all people everywhere. As often as Dr. King would say, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. He felt that justice could not be parceled out to individuals and groups, but was the birthright of every human being who was created in the image of God. 
Dr. King spoke of the beloved community uh, with this, this sense of a global vision where all people benefited and shared in the prosperity of the earth. Dr. King believed that the beloved community was used to describe how people today or in his time might experience the kingdom of God on earth. It was within this beloved community where poverty and hunger and homelessness and the marginalization of poor people would, would not be tolerated because international standards of human decency would not allow it. But more importantly, the Bible calls us as disciples of Jesus to engage in these matters as matters of faith. Within the beloved community, racism and all forms of discrimination and bigotry and prejudice and ignorance and racial microaggressions, all of these would be replaced by these glorious moments of reconciliation and inclusivity between all human beings where love would reign supreme over fear and over hatred. I think all of us listening today, we might all would agree that the beloved community has in its origins within scripture and that the heart of the beloved community resides in the heart of our creator. And yet if we're also being honest, and I think we should, I think we'd also agree that our current context, our current cultural environment is failing tremendously. In my role, new role as the chief evangelist for Hope Worldwide, I've been able to speak to congregations across the United States and even some congregations outside the United States. And so the audience has varies and therefore the needs of people vary with those audiences. And I can tell you as a preacher and as an evangelist, every sermon and every message that I do, I wanted to, to resonate and I wanted to be relevant to the needs of the people. And so for me, as I've gone around and had a chance to preach, there seems to be this, this consistent thread that runs through our global tapestry. And let me describe kind of a, what I mean by that. Social scientists have referred to the year of 2020 as an endless pandemic, where people were and are in some cases still experiencing cultural depression and cultural anxiety. As I've talked to people, no matter where they are, words like anxious and frustrated and fatigued all come up. All of us, there's, there's not a human being alive that is not being impacted by a, a global pandemic, which is having significant emotional and economic ramifications. And all of this is taking place simultaneously with a divisive political climate coupled with tenuous racial discourse all across the nation. A couple of months ago, I read this poem uh, by Sophia Sanfilippo, it was on the internet, and she was talking about the impact of COVID on all of us. And she says, we've all been exposed, not necessarily to the virus, but we've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us. Corona is exposing our weak sides and exposing our dark sides, exposing what normally lays beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible mask we all wear. Now exposed by the paper mask we can't hide far behind, Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession 
with control, our compulsion to hoard and our protection of self. Corona is peeling back the layers, tearing down the walls, revealing our illusions and leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods. Come Lord morning. I think that the word that really undergirds beloved community is the word love. And that's what I want to focus on here today. And I want to start off by looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. I'm going to re reference several passages and you can turn there if you want to. But most of these passages you will be very familiar with. Matthew chapter 22 is when Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and then the Pharisees came up and one of them was an expert in the law and they came up to test Jesus and they asked him this question. And they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? See, this is flawed at the very beginning. So there were like 613, some separate laws. They divided them into affirmative laws and negative laws. And so they rank ordered all the laws and they came to Jesus. Now they believed all the laws were equal and they came from God, but they want to know what Jesus had to say about it. And they said, teacher, which is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. And then Jesus says, all the laws hang, of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Imagine that. They tried to trick him. They couldn't do it. And Jesus simplifies the Christian faith. And I love this about Jesus. He said, there's a lot of laws that you'd have a hard time just knowing all of them. But let me make it simple for you. Everything about Christianity is about love. First of all, it's about loving God. And secondly, it's about loving our neighbor. And I want to focus today's message on these two great commandments because Jesus is trying to simplify our faith. When we live in a world that is very complicated, a world that is angry and frustrated and fatigued, we, we have to be able to drill down and simplify our faith so that we can navigate our way in the context in which we live. Now, before I, I get into talking about love, love is one of those words that we just we just toss around and therefore we diminish the biblical call for what love is really all about. Let me give you an example. If I told you I love ESPN, I love football, I love sports, I love basketball, I also love golf. I love seafood, but I also love steak and I love hamburgers. I love shrimp as well. I love traveling. I love my wife, Tammy. I love my kids, Peyton, Trey, and Jordan. I love the church. I love Hope Worldwide. I love God. But I also love this artwork right behind me on the wall. I love that piece of artwork. Now, when I say I love that piece of artwork, that doesn't mean that I love that artwork like I love God. See, in the English language, there's only really one word to express what we love. And so we, we love TV. We love a show. We love our spouses. And we throw the word love out. And the meaning is so diminished. And so we have to return to God the way the Bible teaches. And how do I love neighbor the way the Bible teaches? So fortunately, in the Greek language of which the New Testament is written, there are several words. In Greek, there are about six or seven words for love. But in the Bible, there are about four. I'm only going to focus on two of them because these are the two that we're going to see used in a certain context of Scripture. The first one is phileo. And it just means affectionate. This is the love that exists between brothers and sisters in the church. We have an affectionate love for one another. In fact, 
It is called brotherly love. That's what phileo is. Agape is the highest form of love. It is higher than phileo love. Agape love is a love that we can only look to God really to get the definition. If we want to look at agape, we would look at God's character and say that God is immeasurable. God is incomparable. Uh, God has incomparable love for mankind. It is a divine love that comes from God. God is perfect. God is unconditional. God is sacrificial. God is pure. God is generous. In fact, Jesus Christ demonstrated this love on the cross. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. God so agape the world that he gave his only son. See, phileo love is not going to get you to be that sacrificial, but agape will. In the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, we hear it at all the weddings that we go to. Love is patient and love is kind and it does not envy. It does not boast. And when you read what Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 13, it's good to keep in mind our neighbors and our enemies, because we're going to talk about that in a moment. But it's good to keep people in mind to see if we are actually practicing this kind of love with people. He said it does not boast. It is not proud. Agape is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it says love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And in verse eight, love never fails. But that's an agape love here. That love, agape love never fails. And this is what we need so much in our world right now. We need disciples of Jesus who understands the root of biblical love and to understand that that's what we need to do and how we need to be in this world. Now, to set that up, I want to share with you a conversation found in John chapter 21. This is post-resurrection. Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times. And so Jesus is resurrected. He comes back to his disciples. He shows them he's resurrected. Then he has a conversation with Peter. And in that conversation, he asked Peter three times if Peter loved him. He says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time if he loved him. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So when you read this in the English, it's just an exchange of the word. Do you love me? Yes, I do love you. But if we look at the Greek word, we'll see that when Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, Jesus used the word agape, which is that unconditional, sacrificial, divine, perfect, not rude, not easily angered. All of those descriptions that I just went through, that's what that love is. And Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds each time with the word phileo. He doesn't respond back with agape. And Peter says, yes, you know, I phileo, you know, we're friends and we're, we're brothers. And then Jesus asks him again, do you agape me? He comes back and says, you know, all things, you know, I phileo love you. And then the third time, and this is a gracious part on Jesus, is Jesus actually switches words. And rather than using agape, Jesus uses phileo and says, do you phileo love me? 
That's the awesome part about, about Jesus. He meets us where we are. And then he met Peter. Peter wasn't able to say, hey, I agape you, but I do phileo love you. So Jesus meets us where we are. It's important for us to understand that as we look through the New Testament, most often when the Bible is talking about love, it is talking about agape love. So now that we have a good definition of what agape love is and how it manifests itself, let's look at these two great commandments, loving God and loving neighbor. If we looked at loving God, it would mean how do we agape God? Well, first of all, we look to God really to get the definition of agape. And so now we understand that we need to love God just like God loves us. In fact, we love God because God first loved us. And one of the things we can really begin to lean into, if we looked in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, we will see that God loves us, but that God, the Bible says, is a jealous God. In fact, in Exodus 34, it says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. God is jealous because God wants us to love him. In Exodus 20, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. God is a jealous God. God wants us to love him with an agape, unconditional, generous, gracious, perfect love. In Psalm 46.10, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in all the earth. I believe that this global pandemic that we are enduring is perhaps a moment where God is requiring us to be still to be socially distant and to not be traveling and not to be so busy, but to be in our homes and to be still. I use this illustration. Um, there was a time I've had this and maybe you've had this with your uh, uh, devices, computers and cell phones and things of that nature where they begin to run slow. And sometimes the it's buffering or sometimes you can't make a call or the computer gets a blue screen or whatever the case may be. And so someone will tell you what you need to do is you need to hit control alt delete. And when you hit control alt delete, your task manager is going to pop up and it's going to show you all the things on your computer, all the programs that are currently running and all the ones that are running in the background and that is using up memory and using up power. And what you want to start doing is you want to start shutting down these processes and these programs so that the computer can actually function again. They call it a soft reset. Sometimes we can do that with our cell phones. They may not be working. Sometimes they'll tell you, look, turn the device off and let it reset. I think that's what God is doing with us right now in the pandemic. I think God wants us as human beings to be still and to be comfortable in our homes in silence and quiet and really trying to connect with God and to begin to, to think about all the idols that we have made in our lives all the things and all the people that we worship before God. I think the pandemic is allowing the entire world, everybody, nobody escapes it, that God is going to be exalted in the nations and God is going to be exalted 
on the earth. Now, I told you about a soft reset. There's something called a hard reset. And a hard reset, I remember one time my phone wasn't working. I took it to the store and they did a soft reset and it wouldn't work. And they said, we're going to have to do a hard reset. And I go, what is that? They said, well, we're going to restore this device back to the original setting. Now, we know in biblical history that, that God has done, I think, a number of soft resets, but God also did a hard reset one time. And all you got to do is go back to Genesis chapter six, verse five, where the Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth and how we became and that every inclination of our heart was only evil all the time. And God sent the flood and did a hard reset and wiped everybody out and basically took us back to the original factory setting of a human being, which is this image where humans are walking in the garden with God naked and unashamed. If you want to get down to the factory setting of a human being, it is for us to be in the presence of God and to be naked and to be unashamed and in fellowship with God. When I think about that, I'm reminded of the, the New Testament story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus went to their home and Martha, she's being hospitable, cooking, cleaning, preparing a meal. And Mary is just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And Martha gets an attitude with Jesus, an attitude with her sister and wants Jesus to say something and Jesus tells Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. Both of them, this is not a choice between bad and good. This is a choice between good and better. Being hospitable is a good thing to do, but sitting at the feet of Jesus is a better thing to do. And this is maybe this is a time in the pandemic where all of us need to really lean into trying to really get close to God and exalt God in our lives and how being in the presence of God can reveal the darkness in our lives and where we need to be. I was jokingly made this comment to someone. I know that we now have access to all these virtual things. And I said, it seems to me that uh, more disciples right now are spending more time on Zoom than they are the upper room. And upper room, I just mean a spiritual place where we can go and connect with God. Maybe it's time that even in our own uh, quiet places and stillness that we remove ourselves from the media, that we turn off the TV, that we pray and that we fast. Showing God this agape, this higher love that we have for the Lord. Number two, uh, we are required to love our neighbor. That's the second greatest to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. You know, uh, we don't have to go too far to really see how important this is, particularly if we go to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter four, Jesus called the disciples to come and follow him. He was going to make them into fishers of men. And then in chapter five, six, and seven, he gives what is called the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever preached, the only sermon that's really ever really needed. And in that sermon, he talks a lot about just our relationships and loving people. And particularly in Matthew chapter four, I'm sorry, five, verse 43. And Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, says this phrase, you have heard it was said, and then he would say something, and he goes, but I tell you. You have heard it was said, and he would put something out there. And what he's putting out there is really the cultural standard of what people had heard and what people were doing. He says, you have heard it was said, 
And they would all go, yeah, we have. That's what we've been taught. He says, but I tell you, and when he says that, what Jesus is doing, he's raising the bar. And look what he says here in verse 43, particularly when he comes to loving our neighbor. He says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You could just pause there for a second. Because I think we live in a world right now that we would all agree that you love your neighbor. Later on in verse five, he also, uh, verse 46, he also says, uh, what is it that you love your only your brothers? Even the tax collectors do that. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than anybody else other than pagans? So what Jesus is basically saying is there is a standard that you have right now on earth. But to my disciples, I'm telling you, we're going to raise the bar. And when you have heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy, we go, yes, you love those who love you. You love your neighbor. And when it comes to enemies, you ignore them. You fight them. You kill them. You defend yourself from an enemy. Uh, you talk bad about enemies. You disagree with enemies. You stay away from enemies. That's what we all do. We've heard all those things. But Jesus says, I tell you in verse 44, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. That's amazing. And sometimes we may forget this or not really understand the power. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, that's tough. I don't know about you, but don't it seem tough right now in our current culture to love our enemies? And understand an enemy doesn't have to be some wicked looking person from another country that we are afraid of. We can have enemies. These are just people that are not lovable like our, we love our neighbors. Our enemies could be all kind of people. Our enemies, if you're a black person, an enemy can be a white person. If you're a white person, an enemy can be a black person. If you're a Democrat, an enemy could be a Republican. If you're a Republican, an enemy could be a Democrat. Are you following me? Uh, an enemy could be someone that don't believe what we believe. And, and an enemy can be someone to whom we disagree with. And we live in a world right now that if we disagree with somebody, if we're not on the same team or the same political party or the same race, we label those people consciously and subconsciously as enemies in our mind. And we live by the world standard to say, hey, your enemy, avoid your enemy. Don't talk to your enemy. And Jesus says, no, if you are a disciple of Jesus, it's the exact opposite. You are to love that enemy. I don't know about you. That can be challenging. Uh, there, there was a time where I was just reading comments of people, brothers and sisters on Facebook, and I didn't like what they said. And I remember just clicking on unfriend. And I thought to myself, that's not loving. You know, I just I, I just declare that person is not being a friend. I didn't want to hear from them no more. We are called to love people with an agape love. And if you think about it, only agape can work with an enemy. Phileo just won't cut it. And here in Matthew chapter five, Jesus uses agape. Maybe our enemy is a neighbor who lives in our community who just put out the Black Lives Matter or the Blue Lives Matter sign or the All Lives Matter sign. Maybe our enemy is someone at work who comes in with a hat that says, make America great again. Maybe 
It's a family member who you thought voted the family political party line and you find out they voted differently. Maybe it's a brother or sister who posts all these things on social media that as soon as you read it, you can believe they think and believe what they think and believe and how they behave. And it just and you can feel it going in your body. That might be your enemy. But maybe it's a, a wealthy person who seems to glory in their riches, or maybe it's a poor person who appears to cheat the system. These are all enemies. And what does Jesus say? Love them and pray for them. Love them and pray for them. That is, that is the call. And phileo love, friendship love won't cut it. Brothers and sisters, we have got to raise the bar to the biblical standard of agape love that is patient, is kind, keeps no record of wrongs. All of these, the Bible is loaded with ways explaining to us what that love is all about. Let me close out here uh, going back to Dr. King for a moment. And I want to reference one of his sermons as he talked about the beloved community. His sermon was entitled Love Your Enemies, and he preached it in 1963, was found and published in his book, Strength to Love. And Dr. King wanted to address the role of what he said is unconditional love in the struggle for this beloved community. And this is what he says. With every ounce of our energy, we must continue to rid this nation of the incubus of segregation. But we shall not in the process relinquish our privilege and obligation to love. That's amazing. We shall not in the process relinquish, he says, our privilege and obligation to love. And he goes on, he says, while abhorring segregation, we shall love the segregationist. While we shall have disdain for racism, we shall love the racist. And while we abhor injustice, we will love the instruments of injustice. This is the only way to create the beloved community. Before I uh, say farewell in the message, I wanted to say thank you on behalf of Hope Worldwide. If I had my hat, I put my Hope hat on. And, uh, and I especially want to, to lift up churches and individuals wherever I go uh, to say thank you so much for really supporting Hope Worldwide uh, over three decades. Uh, I, I'm officially working for Hope, but I've always served Hope for the past 27 years. I've been a disciple. I love Hope Worldwide and all the work that we get to do. And I feel like it's a privilege for me to be in this position uh, to really go preach Hope and to try to encourage us to, to love the poor and the marginalized and to live out things that really matter uh, to our faith. Even though 2020 was a very challenging year, some great things happened, and I don't have time to share everything with you, but I did want to just lift up this one thing, which is our loaves and fishes campaign that took place, uh, because it was an example of what I'm talking about here today. Uh, the fishes and loaves and fishes campaign was an opportunity where disciples showed how much they love God and how much they uh, love their neighbor. You know, economically in America, people lost their jobs. We happen to live in a country where the government will send us a check, even if you're not working. Uh, the government will send out a stimulus check to keep things going. And so we at least get to eat. Many parts of the world are not so blessed. And brothers and sisters in the majority world countries, we found out were not eating because primarily they could not work. 
And so leadership with Hope Worldwide and leadership within the ICOC came together and talked about having a loaves and fishes campaign, thinking about how Jesus multiplied the bread and fish in the gospels to feed people. And so a call went out for people to collect uh, funds and send to majority world countries. And I just wanna say thank you uh, in that 2.2 million in direct support was collected. And it was collected from about 260 different churches and Hope Worldwide member organizations that covered and expanded almost 70 countries and fed over 45,000 brothers and sisters and their neighbors uh, due to COVID. And so we're very grateful. I heard a brother say to me, he says, yeah, from Bahamas to Burundi and Mumbai to Madagascar and from Cambodia all the way to the Congo, uh, rest assured that we did not have any of our brothers or sisters that went to bed hungry on a night. And all of this was inspired by Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And I'll close out with this. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. May God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.